0: compiled all of my notes, and was ready and outlined what I thought it needed to be. It was a 10-week series, (laughs) which sounds hilarious, right? It's a small book. My oldest daughter came up to me at some point and said, Mom, you're doing Jonah for 10 weeks? I just read it to Sammy in five minutes. (laughs) The second week, I had a, a woman in the congregation come up and say, Oh, I'm so sorry, I missed your Jonah teaching last week. And I said, it's okay, there's nine more weeks. She was like, nine more weeks? I said, it's, it's that good. What people don't like about the story of Jonah is the last chapter. That's what I discovered. I was actually sitting in my own counselor's office, and I noticed there was an illustrated book of Jonah, and I got excited, and I thought, oh, let me see how they, how they did it. And so I looked at the book, and I got to the last page, and it was a picture of Jonah washed up on the shores near Nineveh, and it ended. And I thought, well that's, trying to turn the page to see if I was missing something, but that's literally how they ended it. And so I went on this little journey to find out, you know, are children's books really not finishing the story? And it turns out I was right. Most children's literature on Jonah don't finish the story. Chapter four is pretty uncomfortable. People don't like it, I've realized. But what I've come to accept is we have to respect the scripture, respect the text for what it is, even though the ending is nuanced and uncomfortable and concerning, right? But then I think, well, life is uncomfortable and messy and complicated and nuanced. All the more reason we should spend time in that last chapter. So we respect the text when we come to this crazy book of Jonah. But then we also hold up a mirror, right? Right? Because that's really what scripture is intended uh, for us to teach us. And these beautiful stories, and I think of Jesus' parables, they are all for us to, of course, enjoy its beautiful literature, but then to put ourselves in their situation, right? And so I think we come to the end of Jonah, and we're taught to, or we should hold up a mirror. Am I, Lord, like Jonah? So it's not just about Jonah. It is about us. The title of the seminar tonight is The End of Jonah. And literally, it is the end of Jonah, chapter 4. But figuratively as well, because Jonah really does hit rock bottom at the end. He has come to the end of himself. And then the second part of the title is a lesson on emotional self-regulation. Well, those are big counseling words. What does that mean? The definition of an emotion is a conscious mental reaction, such as anger or fear, subjectively experienced as strong feeling, usually directed toward a specific object, and typically accompanied by psychological and behavioral changes in the body. Put more plainly, it's a state of feeling, right? Do you notice in your body when you have an emotion? Can you feel it, can you sense it in your body? I like how the part of the definition says, um, a strong feeling accompanied by physiological, right, and behavioral changes. If I were to ask you what you're feeling right now, and if you were at my conference or seminar last summer, I did ask this. <laughs> I do ask this of people. Do you know what you're feeling right now? Can you, can you name it? Does anybody want to share a word? Peaceful. Peaceful. That was going to be mine too. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Ooh, I like it. Relaxed. Tranquility. Well, you guys don't need this, so I'll just say (laughs) it. Curious. Curious. What'd you say, Katie? Anxious. Okay. Thank you. Me too, a little bit. Nervous. The self-regulation aspect to self-regulate is the ability to respond to the ongoing demands of experience with the range of emotions in a manner that is socially tolerable and sufficiently flexible to permit spontaneous reactions, as well as the ability to delay spontaneous reactions as needed. But more plainly, just managing and responding to our emotions, right? Emotions are good. Emotions are good things. They're created for a specific purpose, and if we think of evolutionary terms or just the way that our bodies are designed, we all will have feelings of anxiety. And although it's unpleasant at times, it does help us. It pushes us away from dangerous situations, right? If we, if none of us had any anxiety, then we would probably do a lot of risky things that we shouldn't do all the time or some of the time. I carry a lot of anxiety. I imagine it's like an, another organ in my body that is, is always there, and I just kind of have to recognize it's there and take care of it. Um, But it does lead us away towards dangerous situations. I read about this study that was done in Africa with monkeys and there was a group of monkeys and the scientists were able to name and recognize all the anxious monkeys and they removed them from the group. I think it was a, a handful of them. And do you know what happened six months later? Everyone was dead. They all died. They removed the anxious ones because... They weren't able to to scan and sense for where there was danger. I was thinking about it swimming in the ocean last week with my family. There were pretty big waves in the Outer Banks, and I was having fun, but I have that anxiety. So I'm I'm what am I doing the whole time? There's big waves, and I'm counting my kids' heads that pop up. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. So it's. It's, it can be helpful, right? Because I'm gonna be that person, when one of them doesn't pop up, I'm gonna notice it first, like those monkeys. Anxiety can be unpleasant, but we need it. some level of anxiety. Anger, although it's unpleasant, anger does help us to set up boundaries, to fight back in certain situations. So we need a, a wide range of emotions that helps us develop as humans. It also helps us to love ourselves and to love others when we know what we're feeling, when we recognize our emotions. I personally think it is one of the most holy and worshipful things we can do is understand ourselves, know ourselves, understand how God made us and our personality and our emotions and which ones we maybe struggle with more than others. So we need these emotions, but we need balance, right? We need to regulate. We, we, we need to be angry, but we don't need to go torch a building or throw something, right? We need to be anxious, but we don't need to live in fear and not go swim in the ocean. Anger is natural and good. Anxiety is natural and good. But we need a balance. So what what we're going to do to kind of uh, start this off is we're going to do just a short mindfulness exercise, if you guys would be willing. If you're not willing, then you'll just have a few minutes of silence. Um so I'm just going to lead us through just something that is very helpful. Um, it's called the five senses exercise. I like to call it pay attention. It's just learning to pay attention. Why would we do something like this? I think practicing mindfulness is a very helpful skill because it helps us to just pay attention and acknowledge what's happening um, around the world and in our body. It's also a good reminder as we're... As we practice mindfulness activities that we are not our thoughts and we are not our emotions. Sometimes we feel that when we're in a strong emotion or having um, overwhelming thoughts. So it, it gives us a second to kind of step outside and remind ourselves, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my emotions. It helps us to take a break from unpleasant thoughts or feelings. So this is called the five senses. I'm just gonna walk us through and we're just gonna pay attention to our senses. And if you have a random thought that comes in, oh, this is dumb, oh, I don't like to do this, I'm just gonna ask you to just try to push it away and get back to the sense. So we'll start with sight. So just for 30 seconds or so, we're just gonna look around and just, in in your mind, just think of what you notice. Maybe it's a color that you're focused on or grass swaying in the breeze or the clouds. Shadows. That we'll just close our eyes and move toward hearing. Pay attention to what you hear. We'll switch gears toward taste, so just pay attention to what taste sensation you have in your mouth. And then we'll move to smell focus on your, your sense of smell and finally touch just Pay attention to your feet on the ground, or your bottom in the chair, or what your hands are touching. Maybe you might notice a pain you're having that you didn't realize. Thank you. That touch one always gets me, like to focus on like the sensation of your feet on the ground, maybe because I'm standing right now, but it's interesting to just focus on that. How was that? Challenging. Was it challenging? Thank you for sharing that. It is, it is hard. We need... Aware, we need to pay attention we need awareness and that is hard thank you for, for sharing that it is hard uh, we need awareness of our senses we also need awareness of our emotions and our thoughts so let's turn our attention to Jonah for a moment Jonah have you guys read the story of Jonah? I was sharing with Katie and the kids earlier that and Kelly one of my favorite Bible story crafts of all time when I was in college I did this craft with the kids. I don't know where I found it. It wasn't original to me, but it was a party blower where it rolls out, and we taped Jonah to the party blower, and we taped him to the back of a fish or a whale, and we blew, and Jonah went, (laughs) What a fun story. It's 48 verses of just goodness. It's got satire and hyperbole and irony. Some of those uh, things are the word big. In just 48 verses, the word big or huge in in Hebrew is listed 12 times in the book. A big city he needs to go to, a massive storm, right? A huge fish, a huge repentance, right? Huge emotions at the end. Another element of this story is that whatever you think is going to happen in the story, usually the opposite happens indeed. You would not expect, well, what would you expect a prophet to do? When God tells him to do something, you would expect that he would obey, right? He's a prophet. He does the opposite. He goes the other direction. There is a storm at sea. One would expect that the messenger of God would have some eloquent thing to say. He's sleeping. He throw, He's thrown over the ship, and one would think he would die, right? He's swallowed by a fish. He gets to Nineveh. He gives this pretty pathetic sermon. One would think he would be torched and killed by the most evil people on the planet, and they repent. Finally, one would think that the prophet would rejoice in this huge repentance, and he pouts. Everything that we think is going to happen, the opposite. What a fun story. The biggest satire and irony in the text is that a prophet, a prophet of God, would be angry at the love and compassion of Yahweh. The biggest twist of the story. The story begins with God commanding Jonah, jo, Jonah, go. It's uh, in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has, had come up before me. The Ninevites were not just mean. They were known as being famously brutal or the terror of the ancients. This was a not a kind group of people. One writer said it'd be like going to Germany and teaching moral exhortation in 1936. And the original audience might have laughed at the at Jonah because he didn't. He already kind of had a spoiled reputation, and his name means innocent dove. So once the original audience might have been laughing at this Jonah. And all of the satire and all of the irony and all of the fun, all of the literary devices are are all used to make a point in the text. And the point centers on two Old Testament scriptures, and I'll read them to you. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. The second scripture is Jeremiah 18. It says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. So this story is showing us those two scripture verses in action. God is showing us his compassion, his goodness, and his willingness to relent if a nation repents. Jonah knows this, he knows it, he says it, but he just doesn't know it, right? He doesn't like it. In the words of Bob the Tomato from VeggieTales, Jonah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, but he never really got it. doodly do. <laughs> God literally does this. He literally shows his compassion, his generosity, and his willingness to relent on his word, and Jonah doesn't like it. He is mad and he exclaims, he knows what's happening. He even exclaims in chapter four, verse two, and listen how close these words are to those two passages we just read. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee from Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew. He knew who God was. He's a walking contradiction. He knows, but he doesn't like it. He is unwilling to accept this truth of God. It's like, I love, the AA community says he is unwilling to accept life on life's terms. He's unwilling to accept it. And what I see in the text is uh, just continual denial, denial, denial denial and then he just explodes. We see it in chapter one. We know what God tells him to do and he is in a great state of denial. He literally runs away. The text is funny because it says God told him get up and go to Nineveh and I like how the text uses the words he got up. He just went the opposite direction. He literally goes the other way. Second state of denial. He's on the He jumps on a ship, there's a massive storm, and what does he do? He just goes to sleep. Doesn't want to face it. And this is not just a sleep. He's not just taking a nap. This is, in the Hebrew, he uses, the author uses the same word, the sleep state that Adam was in when God took a rib to form Eve. He was in a deep, hypnotic sleep. And then... He comes out, they, the sailors get him out, and they're saying, What's happening? Who does, who, whose fault is this? They roll their dice, it falls on Jonah, and Jonah confesses, It's I, and he confesses God's uh, control of the land and the sea, which is ironic, right? He knew that God is in control of everything, and he thought he could run away. And he says, Throw me over. And some see this as a sacrificial offering, a Christ-like sacrifice. I see it as, he just doesn't want to do it. He just wants to die, Um, He says, throw me over, again, denial, 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 but a giant fish, as we know, swallows him up for three nights and three days. We get to chapter 2, and it's a beautiful prayer of Jonah that ends with, and listen for the irony, the prayer ends, his last, his final words before he's spat out by the fish is, salvation comes from the Lord. He goes to Nineveh, chapter 3, and chapter 3 parallels, chapter 1. It's the same beginning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So this time, he doesn't flee. I think he finally realizes, right, like, okay, God, I'm going to have to do this. He doesn't flee, but I would argue that he is on some sort of autopilot. I love the way Richard Rohr talks about autopilot. He's a writer and a priest. And he talks about the human condition of being on autopilot that we all do at times in our lives when we just are either running from something or hiding from something, when we're not paying attention to our wants, to our needs, to our um, personalities, when we're just going through the motions not awake to ourselves or to our traumatic experiences, and we do all kinds of things to keep the autopilot in action. Some people choose to seek thrilling and exciting um, experiences. Some people mask it and just pretend everything is okay. Hello, social media. Some people are just asleep to emotions, just don't just don't acknowledge them and just let them sit. Some people get stuck in the emotion, but then can't come out of the emotion, right? So we're all different. We all handle it differently. But in all of those cases, it's all autopilot. We're just not acknowledging the root or the emotion or what we're really thinking and feeling or how we've been hurt. So Jonah, I would argue in chapter three, he is on autopilot. He goes to Nineveh, But let's be honest, he does a pretty crap job. (laughs) He gets there, and think about it. You are the chosen mouthpiece for God to explain to a group of people who are evil, and you know God is up to something. I mean, come on. You know he's up to something. You just sat in a fish for three days. (laughs) He goes up to the Ninevites, and this is what he's got, five words. He says five Hebrew words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And then he goes and pouts in a corner. I think he was on autopilot. And remember, in the story, whatever you think is going to happen, the opposite happens. He goes to pout in a corner, and God used those five Hebrew words, and every single one of them repents, even the livestock. This should make us laugh. It's a funny story. We get to chapter four, and this is the end of. He finally comes out of denial, comes out of autopilot, and he is angry. I think he was triggered. He was triggered by their repentance. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says he's greatly displeased and became angry. And the next part is so great. I, I I can't understand why people would skip over this chapter because God uses this beautiful object lesson to... Help Jonah come to his senses, to help Jonah see what's really happening. He's pouting. This whole nation rejoiced. And Jonah's so mad that God is so generous and loving. And he's sitting, and it's a hot, hot day. And God provides for him this nice shade. And it's probably a breeze and probably how we feel right now. This weather is beautiful. And what does Jonah do? He rejoices in the shade. He rejoices with great rejoicing. He's so happy. Do you see what the author is doing? The entire city repents, even the livestock. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Jonah is given some shade. He is rejoicing with great rejoicing. (laughs) This is the end of Jonah. Something is out of order. And we notice when things are out of order, don't we? I was at somebody's house the other day, and he went and knock the picture frame down an inch. I do it, too. Some of us just notice when that picture frame is out of order, right? I remember one time pulling up in a parking lot, and they had just paved the road, but they hadn't marked the the parking lines. And it was so funny. Cars did not know what to do and where to park. I thought, this is we need boundaries, people. It was out of order. There is a wonderful little coffee shop at the end of our street that I like to... Uh, go-to and their bag of tea cost more than a cup of coffee. I don't understand it. It seems terribly out of order to me. <laughs> what about our health? Do we notice when something's off? I'm an asthmatic and just last week I had a flare-up and I mean just one little cough and I knew it. I'm like, here we go <clears throat> got to take my inhaler and drink a ton of water and, and let this let this play out. We notice when something's off, right? in our bodies. On a more serious note, something is terribly out of order when a parent has to bury his or her child. That's not right. That is out of order. And we notice it. It's the most terrible thing that can happen to a person to bury their child. Some things are very out of order in this story. I've put this story in prime, and this is what I did with this section. Everyone and everything yielded to the Lord. The wind and the worm and the sailors on board, the fish and the vine and the Ninevite lot, they all trusted God's way, but the prophet did not. Something is terribly backward. Everything has yielded to the Lord. Everything, the worm, the vine, the whale, the wind, the waves, the pagan sailors, the pagan city, everything has said, okay, God, we'll do it, except... The prophet, the biggest city of the time filled with the most rebellious people, just turned from their wicked ways in the most dramatic fashion and embraced this loving God and the messenger, the one who was supposed to to model God's compassion. I mean, he was called to, to be God's presence to these people. He is doing the opposite. He's angry, but he's rejoicing in his shade. Sometimes our emotions are out of order and our God is a God of order and consistency. When our emotions are out of order, this is a problem for us. Some of us can be very spiritually mature. We can know all the things. We can know all the verses. We can know all the prayers. We can know the creed and the rosaries. We can know every single Bible craft with every single Bible story. We can know all the things, but be very emotionally immature. Jonah was an expert in the creedal confessions. One writer said, you can know a thing to death, but for all practical purposes, be completely ignorant of it. My friend in Baton Rouge was looking for a new doctor. He was telling Byron and me that he went to this new doctor, and the doctor came in overweight, breathy, and smelling of cigarette smoke. (laughs) He was out. (laughs) We can know a thing to death, but for all practical purposes, be completely ignorant of it. Jonah is fuming mad about God's compassion. The author makes it clear in chapter four, verse one, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And this is a a neat little word play in the text. The word that the author uses for Jonah's uh, displeasing, Nature is the same word that the author uses to describe the Ninevites, evil. It was evil with Jonah, with great evil. So Jonah was just as bad as the Ninevites. He was just as evil as the Ninevites. Isn't that ironic? He literally hates what God has done. God was compassionate and generous, and Jonah couldn't stand it. So what do we do with this? Well, as we talked about at the beginning, I think we always hold up a mirror, right? Are our emotions out of order at times? Do we secretly rejoice when something bad happens to someone else? If, if you're a football, sports fan, pro sports, I have found myself, just for a second, getting happy when another, a really good player on the other team is injured. And I go, uh-oh, what is that? I'm happy about somebody being injured. Do we overreact or lash out when we don't get our way? Or do we pout? Or when someone makes a mistake? Or do we say yes when we really mean no? I was guilty of that recently. I said yes to something and my friend said, are you sure? And I said, no. I said, I said yes, but I meant no. That wasn't very honest. Do we want to see others punished by God? Your worst enemy, maybe? That bully in school? I heard one person when he was talking about Jonah say, you know, I thought about my childhood and I was bullied And I thought, what would I feel if God said, I'm going to pick that kid and I'm going to show him all my love and grace and compassion. I'm going to reward him. How does that sit? One of our kids got a treat earlier in the day, had gone to a birthday party or something and got ice cream. And then later in the day, as a family, we all went out and got ice cream. And one of the other kids said, well, she can't have any ice cream tonight because she already had ice cream at the party today. That's not fair, that's not right. I feel like that was a little bit of Jonah. They're mean, I don't like them, that's not fair. Jonah is not sad or suicidal because people are suffering, right? He's not sad because, oh, I'm grieved God by all of these people who are not following you, who are so mean. As Bob the tomato says, they slap people with fishes. He's not angry at that. He's angry and suicidal because God was compassionate and gracious toward people that he just didn't like. Nineveh's redemption had literally depressed him. He's angry. Okay, no problem. So it's not that he's angry. It's he's angry at the wrong thing. It's okay to be angry. I think his, his emotions would have been regulated or in order if he was angry because the Ninevites were so evil. He was angry when he saw how they treated each other. But he's not angry at that. He's angry at God's compassion, and he knew, he knew God was loving and relenting. Jonah and the rest of us all need emotional self-regulation. We can't control everything, but we can control some things. We can't control all of our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to our circumstances. In studying Jonah so much, I thought about, I I picture it and I imagine it, and we don't know what Jonah's thinking most of the time, um, but I imagine sitting next to him on that cliff, overlooking, and I imagine saying, you know, what, what would I say to Jonah? I would say, what are you feeling, Jonah? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I know what he would say I'm angry and I would say tell me about that Jonah where are you feeling and he might say I feel like my ears are going to explode or I, I feel like my heart's going to beat out of my chest or I feel like I want to punch somebody in the face maybe that's what he was feeling and then when I think about what happens next I think about what, what I would tell somebody who's angry You know, I would say okay just, just sit in it Take some deep breaths it's a wave emotions are waves they come I think about labor if any of you have been in labor there's waves of contractions I I think about that with emotions they come they're really hard they come down they ease it's a wave Jonah it's going to stop and then I think what would I say next and then God God does it I love what God does here he asks him this amazing question and I, when I think about God speaking to a man, I, in this section I'm, I'm thinking of God just being so patient and calm and his voice is so soft, I'm imagining this and he asks him, and he's, he does it twice, he does it in verse 4 and verse 9 and I'm going to read you all the different translations of this question Jonah do you do well to be angry? Jonah Do you have a good reason to be angry? Jonah, does being angry make you right? Jonah, what do you have to be angry about? Jonah, what right do you have to be angry? So Jonah owns the emotion, he does that part very well. I would tell tell him, own it, and he'd say, I am. I'd say respect it. Respect the emotion. Sit in it. Own it. But what God is asking Jonah to do here, I think is the next step in regulation. He is asking him to evaluate it. He's asking him to think about his feeling that way. Because all of our emotions come from our thoughts. You've maybe heard the term cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the idea that, we don't just feel something out of nowhere. Sometimes it might feel like that, like it came out of nowhere, but yeah, there was something in there. Okay, there was our thoughts were were leading to this emotion. So, so God is asking Jonah to evaluate it, evaluate this emotion. What story are you telling yourself, Jonah? What story are you telling yourself? What do you really think about this situation? We might ask ourselves, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself? What are my values? What, what are some of the things in my past, maybe? There's a saying in the counseling field, when you're hysterical, it's historical. What is going on here that's getting this emotion so out of whack? So we own it, and the next thing we do, I think God is, is doing this in Jonah, is to evaluate it. And that's the hard part, right? But we don't have to do it alone. I think we do it with somebody that we trust, with a professional, with a friend, with a pastor or priest. We read books, right? We listen to podcasts. We do the work. And it can take a long time, right? Everybody's different. But finally, while we're working this out, while we're evaluating, while we are doing the work of regulating our emotions, I want to encourage us to remember that God is so patient, so patient and kind and loving toward us. Listen to what what the Lord says to Jonah after Jonah says, I'm angry, I want to die. And God says, and again, I just imagine this in a soft, loving tone. You have been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has over 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? In my poem, I say, in a calm, patient voice, the Lord questioned Jonah's words. You care more about that vine than these people and herds. I am loving and caring. I took away your hardship too. Should I not care for these people like I just did for you? God is helping Jonah come to his senses. And one of my favorite lines in all of scripture is from the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the scripture reads, when he came to his senses. I love that. When he came to his senses. Jonah just hadn't yet, and maybe he did, we don't know, right after God's little talk with him. But what God was doing is he was helping Jonah come to his senses. But we the listening circle, the readers. We get to watch and learn through Jonah. We get to watch our loving, kind, gracious God gently question him and then show him through chapter four through this object lesson that he's being completely irrational. His emotions are all out of whack, That he's gone off course like we all do. But God is patient with us And we too should be patient with us. We should do the work, but we should be kind to ourselves as we do the work. We should step outside of ourselves and look down like God does to Jonah. Look down on our own stories with compassion, with patience. I read a really funny meme that I thought went along with this last week. It said, don't be so hard on yourself. The mom in E.T. had an alien living in her home for days and didn't even notice. (laughs) I'm going to close with a few verses from Psalm 18. One of the things that I did when I was studying Jonah a couple years ago is I read through the Psalms with Jonah in mind. I I read through the Psalms, and there's so many Psalms that I thought, wow, this is Jonah. And his his song in chapter 2 is taken from it's all parallels a lot of the Psalms but this one just really sticks with me Um, I love it it's from Psalm 18 so I'm going to read it aloud just a couple verses he reached down from on high and took hold of me he drew me out of deep waters he rescued me from my powerful enemy from my foes who were too strong for me They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I think the end of Jonah teaches us, one, that we can be no different, that we hold up a mirror. That when our emotions are dysregulated or we feel off out of order that we stop and sit in it and own it and even respect it but then we evaluate it and we ask God to help us come to our senses and we ask for help I think it was President Obama maybe one of the recent presidents who said one of the Best things we can do in life is ask for help. We ask for help as we evaluate. We come to our senses, and we remember that God is just as He was compassionate, compassionate and loving toward the Ninevites. He is compassionate and loving towards us. That is what I have tonight. I would love to hear what you guys think of Jonah. And thank you for listening. Do you think Jonah wrote the book? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Good question. I don't know. Do you it's know, Kevin? Of Do you think? I think if did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can ask the priest if he thinks Jonah wrote it. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows yeah. for certain. <laughs> I have read one children's book where there's like a footnote and it says, we know that Jonah came around because he wrote the book. (laughs) I thought, okay, that's one way to justify. (laughs) We don't know who wrote it. How do you get unstuck from those critical feelings? Mm. Like, you don't want someone to have redemption because you hate them so much. What do you guys think? Do you get unstuck? That is one answer. Jesus. (laughs) I, I would think the very first thing is that we recognize it, right? Like, where would we be if we didn't recognize we were doing it? So I think the first step is just saying, oh. It's Evangeline, I think. So I I definitely think recognizing that we're doing it um, is the first step. Um, There are a number of, you know, there are a number of different aids in that, you know. One being the, the whole evaluating it, you know. Um, the the some people um, call it the parasite or the ally in our heads, right? We want uh, the parasite is that that when we continue to think negatively, and then the ally is like helping us come out of that. So, definitely a lot of what some people would call cognitive behavioral work. If anybody wants to share what's been helpful to them. I was just thinking of, uh, and I've never thought about this before, but um, do you think it's possible that God asked this particular prophet to do that particular job because he knew Mm -hmm. Jonah had a problem with his... Mm-hmm. Emotions, and this is the way he could help him learn, yeah, about his own mixed up, yeah, skewed perspective. He loved Jonah mm-hmm. that much, If he mm-hmm. went to that length to teach him that. I love that, yeah, that's that's beautiful. Could definitely see that, that's beautiful, yeah, yeah. And maybe he gives us assignments like. Maybe in our lives, if we're stuck in a, an emotional response, maybe he'll he'll do that with us. Yeah. Right? Yep. He'll give us, mm-hmm. he'll lead us on a journey mm-hmm. that reveals to ourselves right what, how we need to evaluate and change. Yes, and. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we all notice it probably, like those small things, you know, that person that you really can't stand and then you're stuck to be in a room with them for an hour or something, just those little things. Yeah. What do we know about Jonah? <laughs> um did he become a prophet? Yeah. The, the, I, think, I think, I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since I've studied that. And feel free to chime in, anybody who's studied it. I think we only hear about Jonah one other... Well, his, he's referenced in the New Testament, you know, um, for Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, but in the Old Testament, I think he's only referenced one other time in 1st or 2nd Kings... And it, it, it wasn't a good thing. Uh, another prophet came and overturned kind of what Joseph, what Jonah said to the king at the time. Do you remember, Byron, the story? Yeah, the, he's just mentioning a negative light. Yeah. But whether it's the same Jonah, you know, we, we don't know. It's easy for us when we just have, yeah. you know, 60-something books. Yeah. But I do remember reading, like, you know, if this is the same Jonah, that's the one time he's referenced, and it's in a negative light. And which, so the original readers of Jonah would know who Jonah would would recognize Jonah and be like, that's, really, that's the guy you're going to send? You know, and maybe he's doing it because he knows Jonah's heart. Um, But it it should kind of, the original readers I've read probably were jarred that it was this guy. This is the prophet that's going to do the biggest, you know, (laughs) the biggest preaching point, um, and two, that his name means innocent dove, Just kind of funny. Um, Katie asked that question. This is a book I brought just to show you all that's been helpful for me. It's called mind and emotions. Um, it's a universal treatment for emotional disorders. And it's one of these workbooks where, you know, you're going to get out what you put in. Um, the writers aren't coming from a Christian perspective, but it's the body's the body. Trauma is trauma. Um, so I recommend this book. There's another book that uh, I really like. It's written by like the leading uh, um, scholar and scientist in trauma, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Yes, got some got some amens. Um, that's a great book. It's pretty dense, but very helpful. The Body Keeps the Score. And there's a podcast I'd like to recommend. It's By a guy named Adam Young, and he's a trauma therapist. Amen, Kara. It's your favorite podcast. He's a counselor, so his voice is really soothing. So (laughs) be aware, be be prepared for the soothing, calm voice. But they're short, they're short, pretty short um, uh, episodes. It's called uh, The Place We Find Ourselves by Adam Young. It is a Christian perspective, and he's a trauma therapist. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to say one other book on trauma that I've read that was really excellent was called Trauma and Suffering by mm-hmm. Daniel Yeah, And it was, um, I, I, that's a topic I love, but that was probably, if you were going to read one book on trauma, that would be the one that I would suggest because it's such a good comprehensive view of it and it incorporates the gospel in so clearly along with the science of trauma. What mm-hmm. right. was that author's yeah. name? Oh, it's called Trauma and Suffering. I think it's How God Redeems. Uh, I forget that title. It's by Diane Langford. It's a On, on Jonah or emotions. Do you have any books for children about Jonah? I know a great book for children on Jonah, and I promise I will email when it's available on Amazon. So um, it is one that I wrote, and have uh, a beautiful book Illustrator has illustrated, and she just finished in May, so it should be should be printed hopefully by the end of the summer. Yes, there was a problem that Jonah was not ending in the children's books. There, there's there are a couple, um, so so not not every children's book, you know, ends in chapter three. But um, I wanted to do justice to the text for for children and for everyone. And the last line of the book is, um, I'm not going to remember off the top of my head the stanza before, but the last two lines are, enough about Jonah, what about you? Mm -hmm. Anybody else? This is a good topic, especially in our polarized culture, because mm. the lines are pretty, yeah. pretty clear now, and there yeah. are deep emotions now on both sides, in the public general, yeah. and, and even in the church, where you would think we would be more civil. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you can almost feel an atmosphere when you walk in. And especially yeah. if you know certain people are present and you don't agree with them, yeah, you can almost feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not almost, you can, yeah, many times. So I think it's very relevant to how do we evaluate, how do we respond, particularly in the church in this climate we're living in now. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we might see a lot of spiritually mature people who are very emotionally immature, which doesn't that doesn't line up, does it? <laughs> okay, well, I will um, hang out for a little bit longer if anybody wants to chat, and I will close this in a prayer, and then. Byron, would you mind just leading us in the doxology? Can we do that to finish? Father, we thank you for this beautiful evening, and we thank you for this beautiful story, Lord. Thank you for how exciting and fun it is. But then, God, we we truly thank you for how realistic it is. Um, We thank you for the timeless truths that we read in this story. God, would you help us to work on our own stories? Would you help us to evaluate our emotions? Would you help us to evaluate our thoughts? Would you help us, Lord, to be kind to ourselves, to be patient with ourselves? Would you give us the strength, Lord, to to talk with somebody if we need to? God, would you help us to be emotionally mature and spiritually mature? Would you help us to see people um, as a beautiful creation of you and not see them for what they believe that's different from us. Would you help us to love others as we love ourselves? But God, help us to love ourselves. Help us to do the work. God, would you put people and places before us on our path like you did for Jonah, God, to get our attention, to, Lord, help us come to our senses. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.